Welcome to the podcast of Church on the Rock in New Albany, Indiana. We believe the message you're about to hear will encourage you today. So today we're going to continue to talk about the good news. Everybody say the good news. Everybody say the good news. Now today as we get into this message, it's going to be a good word about the good news. And we want to start here in Luke 19 and verse 1. Familiar passage, if you, especially if you grew up in church, kids' church, you know this story. But it says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. And there was a man there named Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. And verse 4, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name, Zacchaeus. He said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. When Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. Verse 7 here. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. The notorious B.I.G. Y'all didn't listen to rap a day in your life? I guess I'm the only one who listens to rap. All right. Your pastor's carnal. It's okay. Let it go. It's all right. Verse 8, it's a tough crowd so far. You guys are going to need to loosen up before we're done today. Meanwhile, now Jesus had just told Zacchaeus, who was a notorious sinner, he was a tax collector, which people hated tax collectors back then. They still do. And um, these tax collectors in that time, in that day, uh, a lot of times they were Jewish people, but they worked for the Roman government, and they were stealing money from all sorts of their own people, their own Jewish family. And so there was a lot of hatred towards these people because they were shady. They were the mafia that day. And notice what he says, I will give, when he, once he encountered Jesus and Jesus' love, and Jesus said, I'm coming to your house today. You know, he, he's getting his house in order. He said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. In verse 10, key verse. For the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Notice that for the son of man, that's Jesus, came to seek and to save those who are lost. Now, if you're taking notes today, the title of my message is putting the good news into action. Putting the good news into action into action. Now, on Sunday mornings, we've been talking about what is the good news. The Bible says the good news is that word, we get the word gospel. It means the good news. It's the good news about what Jesus has done for us. It's the good news, not that Jesus only got us to get to go to heaven. That's one part of it. But Jesus came and he brought salvation to us. He brought healing to us. He brought deliverance to us. He gave us a new life that we're invited into God's family, invited into God's kingdom, and we have a new start. And that is the good news of Jesus. And the gospel is the good news. Now, this good news must be shared and must be spoken. Now, let's turn to Mark 16 and 15, one of the last things that Jesus said before he ascended back into heaven. 
Mark 16 and verse 15, if we have it, in the New Living Translation. We got it? We good? Mark 16 verse 15? I could quote it to you. It says, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Go into all the world. There we go. Into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. One of the last things that Jesus said was to go into all the world and preach the good news or the gospel to everyone. Now, that command is to all of us in here, not just preachers in a pulpit. It's to all of us in here that we are called to preach the good news to everyone. The Bible goes on and says in the Gospels that Jesus will not come back until the gospel or the good news is preached to everyone. So the only thing holding Jesus coming back is us preaching the gospel or the good news to everyone. Once that has happened, then Jesus can come back. But why does he want us to preach to everyone? Because everyone deserves a chance. Everyone deserves a new start. Everyone deserves to hear the good news about Jesus. And so Jesus said, I want you to go into all the world and preach the good news. Now, this word preach means to proclaim, to tell, to share. And we're all called by God to do that. In the Bible, that's called the Great Commission. The Great Commission that God has given to his church that we work together with him to preach the good news in all the world, to proclaim, to tell, to share. But the thing about the gospel is this, that the gospel needs to be preached in our words, but it also needs to be preached in our works. The gospel needs to be preached in our language, but it also needs to be preached in our life. The gospel needs to be preached in our speaking, but the gospel needs to be preached and the good news in our service. And we as believers in Jesus need to put the good news into action in our daily lives. Not just with what we say, but with how we live. Not just with what we speak, but how we serve and love other people. Because that preaches just as much as the words coming out of your mouth. And actually times a lot more than the words coming out of your mouth. And that is just as much preaching the gospel as preaching to somebody with your words in your mouth is the way you live preaches the message of the good news. It preaches the gospel. Now let's look at this passage in Matthew 9 and verse 35. Jesus speaking about those who were lost in Matthew 9, 35. It says, Jesus traveled all through the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing, notice what he did, he announced the good news about the kingdom and he healed every kind of disease and illness. Next verse. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion. He had compassion, that's a key word, on them because they were confused and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. But notice when Jesus was preaching and proclaiming the good news of the gospel, yes, he proclaimed it with his mouth, 
He spoke it, and we need to proclaim it and share it with our coworkers, with the people we go to school with, the people we see at the gym, our neighbors, the people we see at restaurants. We are called as followers of Jesus to proclaim and share this message, but we're also called to live out the good news message in our actions. And that preaches just as loud, or dare I say, more loudly than our words. But there's a heart behind it. That Jesus said that motivated him and it was compassion. Compassion. Now the title of this message was putting the good news into action. And you know what compassion means? It means love in action. Compassion is a step beyond, yeah, I just love that person or care about that person. Compassion is, I love you enough to do something about it. Compassion says, I'm not just going to stand on the sidelines. I'm going to do something about what you're going through. It reminds me of the story of the Good Samaritan who it says that he had compassion on him. And so he didn't stand on the side and said, yeah, I love you. God loves you. God bless you. He went and he got involved in that guy's life and he picked him up and he healed his wounds and he brought him to an end. And that's what compassion is. It's love in action. Love in action, not just I love you, because a lot of church people say I love lost people, but what do you do for them? What what do you do for them? Do you do you do you talk to them? Do you do you pay for their meals? Do you do you treat them right? Do you do you go out of your way to do something for them when they're hurting, when they're depressed, when they're suffering? Do you, are you just like I, I love I love lost people? I love broken people because I used to be one and I love you guys. But compassion is what Jesus had, which is not just love, it's love in action. Love enough to do something about it. And that preaches the good news. But our heart should be compassion towards other people. Compassion is not, I just love you, God bless. You stay over there, I'll stay over here. Compassion is love in action. That we go outside our circle, our world, and we go into their world, and we make a difference. It's quiet in this Methodist church already, but I'm not going to let you stop my good preaching today. The good news in action. Now, I want to talk about the rest of this time, two things that Jesus modeled throughout his earthly ministry that showed the good news in action. And really two things that we even see in the book of Acts, the early church, because they just did what Jesus did and saw the same results. So you see this in the Gospels. Jesus lived this out and he modeled the good news in action. But we see the early church lived this out and modeled, and it, by example, live the good news in action. So I'm going to talk about two things that you see in the Gospels and the early church on how they put this gospel good news message into action for other people to see. Now you need to understand, one of the greatest witnesses of the good news is a life that has been changed. Let me say that one more time. One of the greatest witnesses of the good news is a life that's been changed. Now, now notice I'm not saying that you got up and you gave a testimony. I'm saying a life that's been changed. That, that people can tangibly see you were living this way 
and now you're living this way. That you were thinking this way, and now you're thinking this way. That you were going on this path, and you were going on this path. That preaches and gives witness to the good news more than anything else. More than you even verbally sharing your faith and your story with other people, they're saying, no, you don't even got to tell me. I see that something's different. I see that something's changed. I see something has got moved around in your life, and you, and you love differently than you used to love, and you, you prioritize things you didn't used to prioritize, and your life has become so different and so changed. The good news is preached because a life has been changed. That preaches the gospel. That preaches the good news. That people can tangibly see that our life has been changed. And that is being a witness more than handing somebody a track that says, would you like to know the Lord? That doesn't preach. That annoys people. I don't want to be hit up like I'm in the mall with a kiosk. Y'all want some lotion? Y'all, we got the best lotion here. No, I don't want lotion from a guy who's sketchy at a kiosk. No, I don't. I'd rather go to Walgreens and buy my own lotion. Yo, they got the best cell phones here. Yeah, I bought a cell phone already. Not from a guy in the middle of the mall. But that's a lot of believers' evangelism strategy. No, let your life be the witness. A life changed. A new life is the greatest witness. But how do people see that? Well, they see it in several areas, but we want to talk about those. What did Jesus model? What did this early church model? How did they put the good news into action in their own life? The first thing we see is your daily life and your actions preach the good news, and they preach the good news. The first thing is through your service, through your service. Yeah, I thought I would get a roaring amen on that. A roaring amen. Service. That is exactly what I wanted to hear about today, Pastor. But you need to understand, when we serve other people just like Jesus did, that preaches the good news loudly. Jesus said, in the gospel, he didn't come to be served, but to serve. Jesus told his disciples, he who is greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. Jesus thinks serving other people is a big deal, and his church should feel that way as well. You realize the reason that Jesus had influence with people, he had a favor with people. People listened to him and heard the good news messages because Jesus didn't just preach it with his words. He preached it with his service. But let me talk about service for a second because if Jesus said that he himself, who is God in the flesh, did not come to be served but to serve, which he's the only person that deserves to be served, but he said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve other people. And he said, those who are greatest in the kingdom are the servant of all. Why don't we look at it the same way? Now, I just want to just talk to you a second about the, the attitude towards service in our world, and it's not right. You realize we live in a selfish, self-centered generation. Now, I'm saying all of you, you're thinking, yeah, Gen Z, get them. No, all of us, 
all of us, whether you're Gen Z, you're a millennial, you're Gen X, you're a, you're a boomer, whatever you are. And if you're greatest generation, you're like 100 plus, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about you too. All the generations, we are living in such a self-centered, self-obsessed culture. The word service is something that is foreign to people. Now, we need to understand this, that especially in the past several years, we've seen this even more since the pandemic, that the service industry, especially in this country, has went way down because people feel like they are above it. Why? Because they think, well, I ain't going to do that. I, that's beneath me. That's, that's beneath me. I, I'm beyond this. I don't need to be in a service industry. But Jesus said the one who serves is the one who's greatest in the kingdom. But we see people leaving jobs left and right, whether that's in the food industry or the construction industry or uh, hotels or all sorts of other service industries, people uh, leaving out left and right. Now, I'm not saying it's okay if you left for the right reasons, if you're being mistreated, but just leaving because you think it's beneath you is not the right attitude. But we see a, an attitude in Americans that that service and serving jobs are beneath them, and that even has creeped into the church. We as Americans especially feel like service or serving jobs of any kind, whether we get paid for it or not, are are beneath us. We, we don't need to do that. Now, I don't want to make a political statement here, but you can't be mad at people coming from other countries doing the jobs that you don't want to do. They don't belong in our country. They're working harder than you, dude. So maybe you need to go somewhere else. Come on now, somebody. They're willing to do the service industry jobs, and you aren't. Their heart's right, and you're being arrogant. So Let's not bash people coming into our country trying to make a good living, and they don't think that service is beyond them. Why? Because they're not American. They don't have that prideful mentality we do. All right, let me get back on my notes here. But we see during the pandemic, what did they call the service industry, though? We found out they're essential workers. We had to find out through a pandemic that all the people that we've been acting like we're above and that we're too big to do their jobs, that actually they're, they're the most essential people we have in this country. The people working at the gas station, the people serving our food, the people cleaning, the people cooking, the people building, the people doing manual labor jobs. Those are the essential workers that our country is built on. And we had to have a pandemic to shake us up and realize, oh, this is not a lesser than job. We're not beneath the service industry. These people are essential. They were the only people being let out of the house during the pandemic. And then remember, everybody was on Facebook putting, I'm an essential worker. And it was just like, if they had just a random job just because they wanted to get out of the house, I'm an essential worker. No, you're not. We can live without you. <laughs> we need the person at the grocery store. Just stay at home, be on Zoom, dude. Like, you're not essential. But we realized that the service industry is an essential thing. 
Now, why am I talking about that? Because we as believers who live in America, that mentality creeps into us that we think service and serving people is beneath us. Or we're beyond it now because we're educated enough or we're, we have a certain amount of money. But notice, God himself in the flesh said he wasn't beyond this. So you're not beyond this. The Son of God said he came to serve, not to be served. He said the greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. And I love this quote, but if, it says, if serving is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. The real leaders are servant leaders, not bosses, not bullies, servant leaders. But the Bible refers to this. Are you guys getting anything so far? Okay, just checking. The Bible refers to this as service, as good works. Now, these good works come out of us receiving the good news. And once we receive the good news, our life is changed, and there ought to be some good works that come out of us, and that's service. Notice these good works come out of our life, not for our salvation, but they come out of our new found salvation. It's not earning our salvation we do these good things. It's from our salvation we do these good things. It's because our life has been changed and our heart has been changed by the good news. Therefore, good works come out of our life. And one of the main ways it does, it comes out in service. Look what it says in Matthew 5, 16, in the New King James Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Notice it says, your light shines when they see what you're doing. Not not when you talk about it to your people that you work with or, or somebody you go to school with or your neighbors or your family, your friends. Notice it says, your light shines when they see your good works, your service. And then what is the reaction to that? Because you put the good news into action, they say, I want to know about the God that you serve. It says that they would glorify God. But how do they do that? How do they want the God that we serve? Will they see it through our service? And that's a way of shining our light in this dark world. They see our good works. They see our service. And then they want to glorify our God and say, what do you have? What's different about you? Why do you do what you do? Because people will ask that question when you start living this way. And the point of it is that you could bring them to God, that they would glorify him. But they got to see something. Notice it said they got to see something, not just hear something out of your mouth, but they got to see something. That's when the light shines, when they see your good works and your service towards others. Now, I wrote some things down. Service could be, be a lot of different things. And, you know, you don't have to feel like you got to do the, all of these things every day, but just some thoughts that if our life has been changed by the good news and we have compassion for other people, that there should be some good work, some service in our life. Maybe that would be a feeding the hungry. Maybe that would be giving clothes to those who are in need. 
Maybe it could be paying for someone's meal. Maybe it could be praying for a coworker. Maybe it could be helping your neighbor with a project at their house. Maybe it could be visiting those who are in jail or in prison. It could be visiting those who are in the hospital or a nursing home. These are all acts of service that glorify God and shine our light. It could be encouraging someone with your words, yes, but with a card, with flowers. It could be your kindness towards other people. It could be your love towards other people. But whatever it is, the good news has to change us so much, we don't just preach it with our mouth, that people see it with our actions. And when they see it, it says they will see our light and they will glorify our God in heaven. It's preaching the good news. But how do we do that? We do it through service. There's many ways to serve other people. There's many ways to help other people. There's many ways to be the servant to other people. And it's all unique for all of us in here. I just gave you a few different ones that we could all apply to our lives. But we have to do what God is telling us to do. Because if you're listening to him, he's speaking to you about ways that you can help and serve other people. We're thinking, well, I just need to preach to them the good news. That's what they need. No, they need your service. And when they see how much you love them, then they'll ask you, why are you doing this? Why is your life different? Why are you doing what you do? Why are you living this way when they see your service? Now, we need to get back to that as the church in America, serving others like Jesus has served us. It's not beneath us. We're not beyond this. Well, I'm American. I'm too educated for that. I'm beyond serving others. No, you're not. No, you're not. The greatest in the kingdom is a servant of all. Now, my family, we have a restaurant ministry. We have a restaurant ministry. Now, it started when I was probably in about middle school, somewhere along those lines. Dad started traveling more, and so mom started, stopped cooking. So really the past 20 years of my life, I've been eating out every meal, pretty much. So we have a restaurant ministry. Like, so if people invite me to go to restaurants, I'm not really excited about it at this point. It's like, yeah, that's what I do every day. So really, I, I prefer home-cooked meals, by the way. Hint, hint, women of the church, church mothers. If you want to cook me a meal, I'll take it. But we have a restaurant ministry, and so for years and years and years, my family, my mom, my dad, uh, Jessica, the boys, all of us, Natalie, we, we went to a lot of restaurants, and that's our ministry. That's, that's part of what we do, and especially certain restaurants that we go to all the time. We wear them out. One of those would be Longhorn in Clarksville, Indiana. And now it's a place that we went time and time again. But, you know, with the amount of times we've been in there, when we go into a restaurant or we have waiters or waitresses in there, you know, we don't all sit down at the table and say, have you heard the gospel today? I need to preach to you the good news right now. 
No, you know what we, we, we do, and especially dad and mom, they used to do this all the time, even more than me. They would show the love of God to the waitress or the waiter by their words, by, by learning their name when they're waiting on us because they're not our servant, they're not our slave. Come on, Americans. Y'all need to get this. I've never seen so many rude people at restaurants. You're like, well, would you like to cook it? Then go back there and cook it. These people are serving you the food. They're not your slave. They're working a lot of times for minimum wage to serve you food. Be kind. Show the love of God to somebody. You don't know what kind of days those people are having. Even the people that are jerks, it's like, well, maybe their dad just died and they don't want to come to work right now. All right, am I in the right church or are you going to go somewhere else? So, so, so we go in there, and many, many times there's been kindness shown and love shown. And, and of course, Dad's really good at knowing people's names. And, and um, so, so we've had a lot of conversations with different people, especially at certain restaurants, whether that's it used to be Sam's. We used to go there all the time. Longhorn, you know, Topped, J. Alexander's. There's all these different places. We know the people that work there, and they know us because we, we, we've been there so many times. And... There's something that happens when you're showing the love of God and the good news in action. You're not just preaching it, you're showing it. And a lot of times we'll go to restaurants like that and they'll always say, like, I haven't met, like, pastors and Christians who are nice like you. And you're thinking, really? Really? Or then we've heard people say before, like, the worst time to get tips is after Sunday morning service. How does that make sense? How? Those people are not showing the good news in their action. And so these people have continually, especially somewhere like Longhorn, I'm thinking there's like, there's like 10 different waitresses that know our family because we've shown them kindness. And you know, that kindness has opened the door that the dad has ever been able to pray for them many, many times. They'll come up to the table and say, I need prayer about this, this, and this. But what opened the, the door? It was the kindness of other people. I've, I remember there was ladies that were working at Longhorn that sat down next to mom to get counseling. And they're on shift. And they're like, can I talk to you about something? Why? Because we showed them the kindness and the love of God in action. And guess what? When we paid for the bill, we always give big tips. Because we ain't going to just talk about it. We're going to put the love of God into action. And I know many, many times that, that dad has, has went back into Longhorn and given $100 bills to the, the other waitresses that weren't even our waitress. Because God told him to do so. That's showing the good news in action by service. Nobody's trying to get anything out of them. We're just doing it to show them the love of God. And when you show people the love of God, then they'll want what you have. Then they'll ask you for prayer. Then they'll ask you where you go to church. Then they'll ask you, how do you do this? You know, can I get some counseling here? Can I get some help here? That has happened hundreds and hundreds of times at restaurants with my family. Because why? We show them kindness and we tip them big and we show them the love of God. So trust me, if you're ever with dad at a restaurant, which I am often, all the waiters and waitresses fight over his table because they know he'll be a big tipper. <laughs> and they want to talk to him. It's funny, when we go to restaurants, they'll say, Dr. Jacobs. You're thinking, we're not in a church setting here. We're just at a restaurant. Why? Because he makes relationships with them. 
I remember this one time, it was funny. Uh, we were at Longhorn, and like all of us were sitting there, and, and I think Jacob was still alive, mom was still alive. And, and dad was just bragging on everybody like that. And the waitress came back and she said, so you're telling me all of you are preachers? Like all of you, the whole table. And we're like, yeah, I guess we are. And then they're like bringing other waitresses over. They're like, this whole table is preachers. The grandma, the grandpa, the children, their spouses, the grandchildren, everybody's a preacher at this table. I'm like, you better believe it, we are. This whole table is full of preachers. They've never met anybody like that or a family like that. But the greatest witness was not telling them that we're a preacher. The greatest witness was not saying, would you like to come to church on the rock? The greatest witness was not sharing the tangible message or the gospel in written format or with words. The greatest message was service. Through kindness, through prayer, through encouragement, through a big tip, through the love of God. And that's what opens people up to hearing the good news message. Are you getting anything today? So we see that the good news put into action comes through service. Comes through service. In 1 Peter 3.15, you could just write this down. The Bible says to live in such a way that people ask you about the hope that is in you. To live in such a way that people ask about the hope in you. How would you live that way? By service. That people see your good works and they glorify your Father in heaven. Now, still thinking about preaching the good news. We as followers of Jesus, we need to be relational in our evangelism. We've gotten away from this as believers, especially in America. We're still thinking this cold call, used car salesman bit will work in 2022, and it will not. Now, there was a time in a day, like a long, long time ago, like 50 years ago, 70 years ago, where you could knock on somebody's door, and they would hear you out. They ain't answering the door at this point. You know why? Because they got ring. They got a camera, and they see it's you. They ain't answering the door. Those years of evangelism are done. The years of you handing somebody a track are done. The years of you cold calling people and saying, would you like to know about the Lord and Savior? You're getting hung up on. Most of the time, they're not even answering the phone. But a lot of especially American Christians are still trying to do evangelism that way. And that way has been dead for decades. What is what will really change us and really move us and really help other people is to do it the way that Jesus did it and the early church did it, which was through relationships. Building a relationship before you ever share anything. Showing the love of God before you ever talk to someone. Showing God's goodness and God's kindness and God's love through service before you ever invite them to church. That's the good news in action. So, are you, are you still with me? Now, now, we talked about Jesus modeled this and the early church modeled this. They modeled it through service, putting the good news into action. But the next thing they did, and we see this in Jesus' life, is they put it into action by hospitality. Yeah. 
In Luke 19, we're not going to turn there, but let me remind you of the story we read at the beginning. It was about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a notorious sinner because he was a tax collector. And the religious people that day said, Jesus, why do you eat and go to people's house that are sinners? That was a common question asked again and again all throughout the Gospels because Jesus was known to go to people's house and to eat a meal with them when they were far from God. So we see this time and time again in the Gospels that this phrase, Jesus eats with sinners. Jesus eats with tax collectors. Jesus eats with prostitutes. Jesus eats with those who are far from God is something that reoccurs time and time again in the Gospels. But what was that? That was Jesus getting into a relationship with a person before he did anything to change the person. That was Jesus' way of sharing the good news. If you read your Bibles, especially in the Gospels, it says there's over 50 references to meals in the Gospel. I'm serving a Jesus like that. Anybody with me? In Luke 19 and verse 10, it says that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. That was his mission, but the method was the Son of Man came eating and drinking. I'm with you on that one, Jesus, too. Let's go. But, but why did he do that? Why does it say that Jesus was eating and drinking? Why did it kept saying Jesus eats with sinners? Why is it always referred to Jesus going to meals? Because that's the way relationships were formed. Especially in the ancient world, and still today over in that part of the world, the Middle East, they still live this way. Everything in the day revolves around the dinner meal. And when you sit down for dinner, that could be four or five hours long at nighttime. They sit and they eat and they talk and they laugh and they dance and they cry and they spend four or five hours around the dinner table still today in the Middle East. That's a cultural thing because the meal is where relationships were. The meal is where life was shared. The meal is how you got to know one another. And they say that even today, but especially back then in Jesus' time, inviting somebody to a meal with you was saying that there's peace between us. That, that it's all okay. I'm welcoming you into my life. I'm welcoming you into my family that we could share a meal together. So by Jesus inviting sinners to a meal with him was saying, I'm inviting you into the kingdom of God. I'm inviting you into my life. And the way I'm going to do it is by share a meal with you by relationship. Are you getting anything today? The key is Jesus, and we should live this way too, he invited people into his life before he invited them to God. He invited people into his life before he invited them to church. He invited people into his life before he shared the good news through relationships. Now, Jesus lived this way all throughout the Gospels. It says the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and he ate continually with sinners. 
Now, we see this carried on into the early church, the book of Acts. The early 3,000 believers that got together on the day of Pentecost. Notice what it says in Acts 2.46. Day after day they met in the temple area and continuing with one mind and breaking bread in various private homes. They were eating their meals together with joy and generous hearts. Verse 47. And praising God continually and having favor with all the people. And the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were being saved. Did you see this early church? Immediately when they got together, they started doing life together and they started sharing meals together. Because that's the way they shared their life together. But it says, because the early church did that, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So, yes, the outsiders of the church heard their teaching. Yeah, they did. They, they saw the signs and wonders. Yes, they did. They saw the generosity. But it was the meals shared together with people that were far from God or didn't know God yet that the early church would invite people who didn't believe yet to these meals and they would hear the good news and they would get into relationship. And then it says, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. They invited people meals to share the good news. And it says the church grew because they lived this way. They shared their meals. They shared their life with other people. Now, what that's called in the Bible is hospitality. The, the word hospitality comes from two words in the Greek. The first part, it means brotherly love. And the second part means for the stranger or the foreigner. Or for somebody who's different than you. So hospitality is love for the stranger. Love for the foreigner. Love for those who are different than you are. And we're called to be hospitable people as the people of God. Here's one definition of that. Hospitality is expressing the welcome of God to all through tangible acts of love, namely through giving food, shelter, and relationship. Now, this word hospitality was rooted in the church because the early church lived this way. Jesus lived this way. But you know, there's several other words that come from this word hospitality. Now, I know it's trendy to bash the church these days. It's in vogue. Churchistoxic.com. Church abuse. I've been hurt by the church. Do better, church. It's my favorite. Do better, church. And it's in for the world and even ex-church people to bash the church these days. And they act like the church is the root of all evil in the world. The church is the source of everything wrong in the world. And nothing could be further from the truth. You want to know why? Now let me get on my high horse and say this today. The church of Jesus Christ in the past 2,000 years has done more good than any organization, 
than any other business, than any other family, than any other organization around the world. They have fed more people. They have clothed more people. Guess who's going to third world countries? It's not the atheist, and it's not the person who wrote the church abuse blog. It's not. It's lovers of Jesus that are going to third world countries, feeding people, clothing people, doctors going that are Christian doctors going to do surgeries for free. It's not the people that don't believe. It's the Christians that are doing it, showing the love of God in service. You know who's adopting more babies than anybody? It's not the world. It's the church. You know who's fostering more than anybody? It's not the world. It's the church. Don't ever forget that. But you know this word hospitality is where we get the word hospital? Is where we get the word hostel and hotel? Why? Because the early church is the one that started all those organizations that we see today. You know what the first hotels were? It was other believers inviting strangers into their house when they were traveling. Wasn't the Roman Empire, that wasn't the world, it was the followers of Jesus having an extra room in their house saying, you can stay with us. That was the first hotel. And it comes out of the word hospitality that came and started with the early church. There would be no hotels, there would be no Airbnbs. That was what the early church was doing. And they did for centuries and centuries, and then they eventually made hotels and hostels and all this other stuff. But it started with followers of Jesus showing hospitality to the stranger and the foreigner and those traveling through, and they opened up their house because that's what Jesus called them to do. Are you with me or not today? Do you realize that hospital came from hospitality? Guess who started the first hospital? It was the church. It was preachers and priests and nuns and followers of Jesus who started the first hospitals. There's a reason if you look around the world and countries all over, who's building the hospitals? It's the church. There's a reason that when you read the names of all the hospitals around the world, a lot of them have biblical names. Why? Because the church started it. Because the church cares more than any other organization on the world. So don't for a minute believe that nonsense that the church is the root of evil in the world and the church has hurt people more than anybody else. No, the church has helped people more than anyone else, not just spiritually, but emotionally and physically more than any other organization in the past 2,000 years. Don't believe the lies. Hotels started with the church. Hospitals started with the church Orphanages started with the church. Adoption started with the church. Fostering started with the church. Everything good that we have in the Western world came from the church. It came from the church. So don't believe the lie. The church is not doing anything good for anybody. We're the only ones doing good for somebody. But that comes out of the word hospitality, which started with the church. Look at what it says in Romans 12 and verse 13. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Look at what it says in 1 Peter 4, 8. And above all things, I have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. And be hospitable to one another 
without grumbling. Look at what it says in Hebrews 13 and verse 1. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for some have done this without, with having entertained angels without realizing it. If you read your Bible in Timothy and Titus, one of the qualifications for a pastor or a leader is they have to be hospitable. They have to open up their lives to other people. Now, this is so vital and important, and I promise you I'm landing the plane. I'm good? He said I'm good. Then I'm going for it. When we live out the good news in action, we do it with our service, but we do it through our hospitality. Now, I know so far you're with me on the idea of it, but you're thinking that's not me. And we have a disconnect here. Because everyone in the early church assumed that's me and I'm living this way. Because Jesus lived this way. We just read commands from the New Testament that, that he told churches, be hospitable, be eager to show hospitality to others. Be eager to do this, to welcome people and to show them God's love, especially through meals, through shelter, through relationship. But a lot of us are saying, I don't have that gift. I don't, I don't have that gift. Why? Because you're thinking about entertaining. Entertaining is different from hospitality. Hey, not all of you are going to be Martha Stewart. You're not. All of your houses are not going to look like Pinterest. You're not all going to know how to cook a five-course meal. But nowhere in the New Testament does it say you have to do that to be hospitable to people, to show God's love to other people. Hospitality has to do with your heart, has to do with your love, has to do with opening up your life to others. Expressing the welcome of God to all through tangible acts of love. Now, we need to realize this, that we can all do this. And this is one of the ways that Jesus shared the good news and the early church did, through meals, through hospitality, through reaching out to others. And when it's done in love and through the Spirit of God, he is in the middle and working with us. You don't have to have the best of everything. You don't have to have the best house and the best cars and the best backyard and the best meal. You can be hospitable in your apartment with paper plates and a $5 Little Caesars. Are you with me? You can. You can be hospitable with a 12-pack of crunchy tacos from Taco Bell. You can do this. We can do this. And why do we do this? To show God's love and welcome them into the kingdom of God. But, but we want the other evangelism, don't we? Because it's easy. We want to hand somebody something and say, this is about Jesus, bye. <laughs> hey, would you like? We want that evangelism because it takes no work. It takes no effort. It takes no relationship. But that's not the way this thing works. 
This takes effort. This takes intentional time to open up your house, open up your life, take somebody to a meal, take somebody to coffee, do life with them so they can receive the good news of the gospel. Now, once again, Jesus did this nonstop throughout the gospels, and he's supposed to be our example. What's our excuse? The early church did this. They lived this way. And when they did, the church grew, and the Lord added to the church daily. Hospitality is not something for the few. It's for all of us in here. But I want to encourage you guys, as we do this, we need to invite not just a certain type of person into our community. You know, it's easy to uh, invite people you know and you like. Now, I could, I could say I'm hospitable the rest of my life, but if, if I'm inviting Amzie and the Stumblers and Daryl every time, that's easy. We all know each other. We all love each other. Hospitality is reaching out to the person who's not in the group yet, that's not in the circle of friends yet, that didn't get invited to the thing yet, and, and, and slowly but surely inviting them in to what God is doing, inviting the stranger and the foreigner and those that are different, and building a bigger table, not making your table smaller. And we as a church family and individuals and couples need to keep building our table bigger for people. And not just keep hanging out with each other because that's easy. But seeing who we can invite into our circle, into our group, into our life that are new and different. Brother Daryl, could you come play? We're going to close here. Appreciate you coming today. So, thinking about this, in the past month or so, I've had at least four guys on my heart that are different than the normal people I hang out with. Now, what is that? God's showing me people that I need to reach out and show God's hospitality to, God's love to, God's kingdom to. Because it would be easy for me to eat with the same people every week, text the same people every week, call the same. It's easy for all of us. But if we're ever going to grow the church, which is what we're called to do, if we're ever going to grow God's kingdom, we got to get the table bigger. We got to make our circle bigger. We got to make our group bigger and look for the new people and the left out people and the lonely people. Because that's what Jesus would do. And saying, You're welcome here. Open up your life to people. Look at what it says in Luke 14 and verse 12, Jesus speaking. He said, he turned to his host. He said, when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, or we could say a party, he said, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Now, I don't think he's just talking physically. I'm ta I think he's talking spiritually. And then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. That's what Jesus did. That's what the early church did. 
Now what's he saying? Don't just invite your buddies to the party. Don't just invite certain people that you're, it's easy to get along with to everything you're doing. Show hospitality. Look for the spiritually blind and the spiritually broken and the spiritually crippled and the spiritually poor and invite them to what God is doing. That's what will change people's life. The early church, because they lived this way, said the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. What about a church that saw salvations daily? You know why there were salvations daily? Because people were eating meals daily together, talking about the good news, talking about what God was doing. And people were getting saved. Guess what? A pastor didn't have to be there. It was the people in the church sharing the good news of Jesus. Are you with me today? Did you receive anything this morning? I was thinking about this, and I'm going to pray for some people in a second. Talking about putting the good news of, of God into action by service and by hospitality. And I know many of you have done this in our church it doesn't have to take the best house or the best food. It just takes a willing heart to open up your life, your house, your food, go to a restaurant, go to a park, share a sandwich, and show them the love of God. That's how the church grows, by relationships with people that aren't like you. I don't know about you, but I'm in a season right now. Of, I want to be more, more and more intentional with people who are not at our church. I love all of you, of you so much, but I've seen you every day of my life for 35 years. I'm going to do what Jesus did. I'm going to start texting the spiritually blind, the spiritually broken, the spiritual cripple, the spiritually dead person that needs help. I told you, I got four people on my mind right now I've been talking to the past month, just talking to, showing them the love of God. I haven't said anything about church. They know what I do. I know what they do. Why? Because I care about their future. And the good news doesn't just happen by preaching it. It happens by showing it through our actions in relationship. You know, one of the greatest examples of this is Chad and Marsha in our church. Many, many years ago, when uh, I took over the quarry, we had, we had a season where a, a lot of people in our church graduated out of high school, and they graduated into college at IUS. So they all went down to IUS, and you know what happened? They started getting into relationship with other people. And during those years, the Steels would always open up their farm and their house and their home to college students. So almost every night of the week, there was college students at their farm, at their pond, at their house. And some weeks it would be 10, some weeks it would be 50, some weeks it would be 25, some weeks it would be 100. Now, I know maybe you're not all built that way, but they're built different. They're built for college students, and, and they like staying up. 
They got you got to go to sleep earlier now because you're girls. But back then, they could stay up all night. So they were meant for college ministry. And you know what happened? Out of that came more and more people into our church. And the Lord added to our church daily. And it wasn't just through my preaching. And it wasn't just through the worship. That was a part of it. But it was because these two right here, their hospitality is what opened the door for other people to get involved in our church. And it was the love of God in the private settings that made them stick into our church. And it was the worship night in the private settings that kept them plugged into church. And it was it was them showing them, hey, we got pizza, we got Little Caesars, we don't have everything, but, but we'll feed you college students. Of course, that is perfect for a college student. Food? Okay, yeah. But you know, today, some of our main leaders in our church came out of that. Amzie, our worship leader, guess how he got right with the Lord? <laughs> chili dinner. It was a chili dinner. It wasn't me, it wasn't Dr. Jacobs. It was purely his carnalness <laughs> and his love of food. And he was a college student. And I was like, I'll eat it. I'll eat it. I don't care. Is it an atheist club? I'm going. Is there food? I'm there church I don't care what it is and now Amzie's leading our worship he's helping lead the youth he's one of the main leaders in our church but he got here through people at IUS inviting them to the Steele's house and he's still here after all these years his wife Jessica Bach is over the visual team she got here through IUS through being at the Steele's house. Michael Manning, who's on our staff and our graphic designer and my lunch partner for Puerto Vallarta every week, which I wouldn't have without the Steels. He got here because of them. And there's many, many others I could list in here that now are leaders in our church but how did they get plugged in and how did they stay here? It wasn't just my preaching. It was other couples, other families, other groups in our church reaching out to them. And they weren't the same age. But they're saying, hey, I could be a big brother to you, a big sister. I could be a mom and dad to you. Come over to our house. We'll feed you. You can stay as long as you want. We'll talk. We'll go out, we'll play volleyball, we'll go fishing, we'll do worship nights together, we'll watch a movie together, and I'll show you the love of God through my actions. And that's what changed all those college students. It wasn't just preaching from the pulpit. It was hospitality. Now, why am I bringing that up? What could God do with a church of all Chad and Marcia Steeles? We're not above it. Is the call to be hospitable just for them? No, it's for all of us in here. It might be different than them, but we're all called to open up our homes, open up our lives, open up ourselves for other people and invite them into the kingdom of God. What could happen in this church if all of us lived that way? With that attitude of hospitality, the Lord would add to this church daily those who are being saved. Is somebody's soul worth it to take him out to dinner? To get somebody some coffee? We're, we're, we're dumbing that down like, oh, that's not spiritual. That's not. No, if it's done in the love of God and the spirit of God, it is spiritual. And God's moving in that situation through 
Just simple, practical hospitality. Are you challenged this morning? Come on, are we going to do this as a church family? All in our own ways. We're going to open up our lives and our homes and our houses and ourselves to other people like we've never done before. And the Lord will add to the church daily those who are being saved. Could we stand up today? Thank you for listening to me. I had a lot to say today. Thank you, Father. Thank you so much for listening today. For more information about what's happening at Church on the Rock, visit cotrin.org.